The Bible is God's word to us, so let's ask him to help us understand what it says. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have given us your word, the Bible. We pray that as we look at the Bible this morning, you'll help us to understand what it says. But for this passage particularly, we, help us that you will, we pray that you will help us to put it into practice in our lives. Our Father, we want to be people who worship you your way. Please inform us and transform us by your word so that we become the people that you want us to be, living in the light of your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a joke for you. I've told you this joke before, but sadly I just don't have that many jokes. So I try to get the most out of the ones I do have. Anyway, an Anglican minister is talking to a Presbyterian minister. He says, you know what the difference is between you and me? He says, you worship God your way, but I worship God his way. That's why I don't tell many jokes. <laughs> In Romans chapters 12 to 13... <laughs> Did I get it wrong? Or was <laughs> In Romans chapters 12 to 13, we're learning how to worship God his way. And it says, we've seen it's got nothing to do with being an Anglican or being a Presbyterian, nor has it got that much to do with what most people associate with worship. It's not so much about the mood you get in a special building with a stained glass window. Nor is it so much about the, the vibe that you get from singing songs in church. In fact, it's not even so much about being in church at all. True worship is, is much, much bigger than that. It starts off with God's mercy to us. We saw that in the first 11 chapters of Romans, didn't, didn't we? It starts off with recognising that we are sinners who've never loved and obeyed God properly. The only thing we deserve from God is his anger. But God has had mercy upon us. He came in the person of Jesus to die as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. Jesus paid the full price for our sin. God raised him from the dead. And so now, as a free gift, out of God's sheer mercy, you and I can be forgiven for, for all we've done wrong. You and I can be cleansed, pardoned, put right with God. We can be rescued from God's anger. We can be with God in glory. True worship starts with God's mercy in Jesus to us sinners. It's about responding to God's mercy. And the way we respond is this. It starts in our minds. We let the gospel, the good news about Jesus, renew our minds. So we think differently. And as we think differently, that transforms us. It transforms us into people who know what God wants. Uh, more than knowing what God wants, it transforms us into people who want what God wants. And then as people with renewed minds, transformed, wanting what God wants, well, we do it. Not just for an hour on Sunday. We do what God wants. We obey God in every aspect of our lives. We offer him our whole lives. Go back with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. This is really the key verse that, 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 that summarises and, and starts off the whole, really, of the rest of Romans, right through from chapter 12 to chapter 15. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, see there's the foundation, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, your true act of worship. There it is all of your life. How does it work? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I heard a story Uh, In church one time, the offering plate was coming around and it came to a little girl. She took it, she put it down on the floor, and then she stood in it. The usher said, what are you doing? She said, in kids' church I learned that I have to give myself to God. Now, it's not quite the right application, but it is the right idea, isn't it? God does want all of us, in the light of his mercy, That's what he deserves. That's the appropriate kind of worship we should give him. Love him, obey him in every aspect of our lives, every day, all day, in everything we do. That's how to worship God, God's way. And then in the rest of chapter 12 and then into 13, 14, 15, we're getting this filled out for us. We're seeing practical examples of this all-of-life worship. Worshipping God's way, we saw at the beginning of chapter 12, means using the gifts that he's given us to serve each other. Worshipping God's way, we saw last week, will mean sincerely loving other Christians, loving each other deeply, sharing our lives. It'll mean being caring, humble, generous, hospitable, looking out for each other, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. By the way, I've had a number of people say to me, They were very challenged by Romans chapter 12 last week. But I wonder what we've actually done about it. I wonder if we've done anything to put it into practice. It was pretty big picture stuff about loving each other, but I just suggested one thing last week. Do you remember? I suggested that we take the small step of giving someone from church a call during the week. Did you do it? I hope God's word isn't just going in one ear and out the other for us. True worship means sharing each other's lives. It also has implications for our relationships with non-Christians. We need to be careful to do what is right. We need to do all we can to live at peace with people. And now here in chapter 13, we get more of the same sort of teaching. We're seeing more of what it means practically to worship God his way with all of our lives. In chapter 13, Paul tells us how to relate to the governing authorities. And the basic command is there in verse 1. He calls us, you can see it there, to submit to them. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. That's a very important word, submit. It means that you recognise you're under the authority of the government. You, You are below them in the hierarchy. You accept that they rightly have power over you. They've got the right to tell you what to do. And Paul gives two reasons why we should submit to our governing authorities. The first reason is this. God put them there. It's not out of God's control that John Howard is our Prime Minister. It's not out of God's control that Morris Yammer is our Premier. God has established governing authorities. And so if you rebel against the government, you're rebelling against God. If you rebel against the government, you have God's judgment to contend with. Look again at verse 1 there. Submit to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's the first reason we're to submit to the government. Because God put them there. It's not just that we elected them. God put them there. The second reason is because of fear of punishment. God has given governments the right to punish people. And so if you rebel against the government, you can expect to get punished. You can expect to get a fine. You can expect to get put in jail. Some countries, you can even expect the death penalty. Verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And so Paul sums it up. There are two reasons why we should obey our government. Uh, One, fear of punishment, the one we've just looked at. And two, conscience, the one we started off with, because we know that God has put them in authority over us. Verse 5, therefore... It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Well, how does this apply to us? What will it mean for us to submit to our government? The basic application, and by far the most common application, is this. It's very simple. We need to obey the law. If you're disobeying the law, you need to stop. Christians are commanded to do what the government says. There's only one exception, and and I can't think of any time this exception applies to us. The only exception is if the government is telling us to disobey God. The government's authority is under God's authority. If there's a clash, we need to obey God and not man. But other than that, it's just straight-out obedience to what the government says. And even if we do disobey the government, if they are telling us to disobey God, even then we still need to submit to them. We still need to recognise their authority. That might seem a bit strange. How can we disobey submissively? Let me try to illustrate. Imagine the government puts in a law that you're not allowed to pray to God anymore. You might be thinking Daniel here. Uh, The punishment is prison. You and I will need to disobey that law, like Daniel did. God commands us to pray. And his command supersedes the government's command. But still, we need to recognise the government's rightful authority over us. And so even though we disobey that command, we accept their right to put us in prison. We submit. But as I say, that's, that's all just academic for us. I can't think of any law in Australia that forces us to disobey God. That's actually not our problem. Our problem is that we are tempted for whatever reason, to disobey the government that God has put over us. We need to obey the law. It doesn't matter how trivial or strange the law may seem to you. I mean, I think of those stupid lights down there on the, the little lane that goes into St Pius College off Anderson Street. A tiny dead-end lane. Cars hardly ever come out of there, but you have to stand for ages waiting for the green walk signal. Have you walked down from here? It's ridiculous to just stand there and wait. And while you stand there, sane person after sane person walks straight past you across the road. But the question is, 
are we people who worship God? Because God put the authorities there. They've got the right to set the road rules and God has given them the right to punish. And so here's the kind of worship God wants. Don't think so much about how often you're going to sing that chorus on church in Sunday and roll your eyes on the back of your head and feel good. Don't, Don't think so much about that for worship. The worship God cares about happens as I'm standing at that stupid light deciding whether I'm going to obey the government or not. The worship that God cares about happens when I'm in my car deciding whether I'm going to keep to the speed limit or not. The worship that God cares about happens when I'm deciding whether or not to buy that pirated CD. The worship that God cares about happens when I'm deciding whether to download that song instead of paying for it or whether to put that computer program onto another computer without paying for it. God wants us to obey what our government says. That's the worship he says he wants. But the thing is, that's not all there is to it. It's not good enough to just give a a grudging, whinging, Australian sort of obedience to our government. Our government has been put in place by God. Our leaders give up other jobs, real jobs, you might say, to serve the public, not unlike ministers. And so we need to pay our taxes. And we also need to honour and respect our leaders. Verse 6, verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. You want to worship God the way he wants? Again, don't think about the nice feeling as you sit in a building with stained glass windows. Think about sitting at your desk doing your tax return. Here's the worship God wants. He wants you to pay your taxes willingly. Don't avoid tax. Don't take deductions that aren't yours. Maybe that's what you, sh- what you should think to yourself as you sit down, at your tax to do, uh, sit down at your desk to do your tax soon. I'm about to enter into a time of worship. Commit your money. Commit yourself to God in prayer. And pay your taxes willingly. Did you notice there in verse 7 we also need to honour and respect our politicians, our government. Aussies aren't exactly renowned for their respect for government, are we? Each day in our newspapers we see cartoon caricatures of our politicians, teasing them for some alleged failing. Each evening on the news or the current affairs we watch while our, our politicians have to fend off rude reporters with their impudent questions. I mean, it's amazing, really. You watch the sport reporters and they they sort of fawn all over these sports stars with all this respect and and love. But, But political reporters, they cultivate a cynical rudeness, don't they? They treat politicians as if they're liars who've got something to hide all the time. And your average political conversation over a barbecue. We don't generally speak that respectfully about our politicians, do we? Now, of course, it is good to keep our politicians accountable. Where we have the right to disagree, where we have the right to suggest improvement, that is fine. It's appropriate in a democracy. It's it's one of the great blessings of being being in a democracy. And I'm all for the free press. Don't, 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 Don't mishear me. But the Bible is very clear. We need to show respect to our government. We need to pray for them. 
We need to pay for them and we need to honour them. Again, maybe it's not what you think of as worship. But that's the worship God says he wants. He wants us to give honour and respect to our government. When you're at the barbecue, when you're sitting in front of the current affairs show on, on TV chatting to each other, that's where God is looking for you to worship him. The next command that Paul gives really sums it all up. It's an, it's an all-encompassing command. We are called to love people. Not with just a, a vague, sentimental, wishy-washy sort of love, but with the sort of love that seeks people's good, with the sort of love that won't harm other people. And Paul says, if you're loving like that, there's no need for a long list of commands like you get in the Old Testament. Love, he says, sums it all up. Verse 8, it is. Uh, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. Our society, in its rebellion, manages to often twist the concept of love and misuse it. People say that if they truly love each other, then sex is okay outside of marriage. But the Bible says, no, sex without the commitment of marriage is unloving. The Bible tells us you can't love someone but then have sex with their spouse. People say, well, it's loving to terminate a baby in the womb. Maybe it's loving to the mother or maybe if the baby is sick or something like that. Or people think it's loving to, to kill off a person near the end of their life. The Bible says, no, abortion, euthanasia, they are murder. And you cannot love someone and murder them, especially the weak and the vulnerable. People think it's loving to want more and more and more for themselves and their families. But the Bible says, no, that is covetousness. The Bible says it is unloving to always be wanting more. The Bible says you can't love someone and at the same time be always wanting what they've got for yourself. As sinners, we do twist and distort love. We even, we even excuse sin by calling it love. And that's why the Old Testament is still helpful to us. It's why it's important that we do get lists of commands like we've got in Romans chapters 12 to 15 to reveal these kinds of distortions, to demonstrate to us what true love is. But if you're a person with a new mind because of the mercy of God, if you're a person who's being transformed so that you can test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will, if you're a person filled with God's spirit, if you're a person who is offering your, your life to God as a living sacrifice, well, love sums it up. Love sums it up. We will, if we love people, we will do what is best by them. Not conforming to the standards of this world, but according to God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Love sums it up and God calls us to love him. God calls us to worship him by loving our neighbour. So again, notice the worship that God demands. True worship happens as we choose 
to do good to people, day by day, relationship by relationship. Yes, it does happen at church, or it should happen at church. But not just at church. It should happen at home. It should happen at work. It should happen everywhere. You want to worship God's way? Well, then in response to his mercy, love people. That's the worship he says he wants. Paul finishes the chapter by telling us the time. Not that it's almost 10 o'clock and time to fidget until morning tea, but that we are living in the time immediately preceding the return of Jesus. Jesus could come back any time. The world, this world, is nearly finished. And so Paul says we need to wake up. We need to stop living as if the night time of this world is going to last forever. We need to live as people who will soon be in day, in heaven, forever. Verse 11. And do this, that is love, worship, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And then Paul spells out what it's going to look like to live in this time in the light of, of the fact that Jesus could come back any time. He says, don't live lives of sin. Don't get involved in sexual immorality and fights and jealousy. Don't spend your life indulging your physical pleasures. Don't live as if this is all there is. Live for Jesus. Live for the fact that he is coming back. Verse 12, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. See what he's saying? Understand the time. Soon we're going to be in heaven where we're going to worship God perfectly forever, where we will give him everything. And so the point is, in view of the time, start worshipping now. Make your life now a foretaste of your life in heaven. Each year, you may have noticed, daylight saving comes in on a Sunday. And each year it's the same. On the first Sunday of Daylight Savings, you get a few people who don't realise the time for worship. They don't wake up. They turn up to our morning service at 10 o'clock instead of at 9 o'clock. And the first song that they think they are coming in for is, in fact, the last song. They don't realise the time, and so they don't wake up for worship. Although the classic case was a person who shall remain nameless. He was supposed to be leading our evening service the first Sunday of Daylight Saving and he still managed to sleep in and wake and turn up an hour late. <laughs> it's important to know the time of worship. Not so much the time we meet for church, although that's helpful, but we need to understand the time we're living in. We need to realise we're living in the last days. Jesus has died and risen again. God has declared him to be the king of the universe. Now is the time of mercy. Now is the time of amnesty for sinners. Now is the time that you can be forgiven and can be God's person and can offer him acceptable worship. Now is the time, but it won't be long. It won't be long. Soon either Jesus will come to us or we will go to him. 
Soon every knee will bow to King Jesus. Soon every tongue will confess that he's Lord, whether they like it or not. We need to realise the time, and in view of the time, we need to wake up and worship God his way. In view of God's mercy, we need to offer our whole lives to God. So, do you want to worship God's way? Romans 12 to 13 tells us how. It's actually not at all hard to understand, is it? Not like those first 11 chapters where we had to do all kinds of gymnastics to try to work out what it was saying. It's actually dead easy what this is saying. The big question is, the big question is, will you do it? And so let me conclude by challenging you. Do you understand God's mercy to you in Jesus? Do you really know what it is to be a sinner, forgiven through the agonising death of God's Son on your behalf? Do you know what it means that you are standing on the edge of eternity, of eternal glory because of the mercy of God? Do you understand that? Then live it. Live for Jesus. Not just in some vague way. Live it in the practical ways that we've seen in chapters 12 and 13. Live it in the practical ways that we've seen here in chapter 13 today. Worship God by respecting the government that he's instituted. Worship God by obeying the law. Worship God by paying your tax. Worship God by loving your neighbour. Worship God by stopping with immorality and dissension and jealousy. In view of God's mercy, give him everything. Offer your body, your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because that is true worship. That is worshipping God his way. That is worshipping God the way his mercy demands. And that's the worship he deserves, isn't it? Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you that while we were sinners, you gave Christ to die for us so that we can be freely forgiven and made your people. We pray that you'll help us now as your forgiven people, as objects of your mercy, to love and obey you in every aspect of our lives. We pray that you will help us to be respectful of our government. We pray that you will help us to love our neighbour. We pray that you will help us to recognise that Jesus is King, returning soon, and so to offer him everything. Please help us, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to worship you your way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.